you asked me like, what is the number one thing that we did and we continue to do throughout the pandemic was we really tried to lift the stigma. We made it okay to be not okay at work. We really opened up the dialogue. We had courageous conversations and we continue to do it. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. I'm delighted to welcome Sherry Bronstein, the CHRO of Bank of America, for her thoughts on the crisis of emotional well-being. Sherry, thank you for joining. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm really thrilled to be here today. Well, we are too. I mean, we couldn't have a a better a person to weigh in on its importance, but perhaps more importantly, the work that you have done at Bank of America on this very important issue. Before we maybe dive into that, could I ask if you could tell me a little bit about your professional journey? Uh, some of the steps uh, to Bank of America, where I know you joined back in 2000, and, and maybe some of the, a little bit about the scope of the role that you have. Sure. Um, thanks so much. Um, so I am uh, today the Chief Human Resource Officer, which um, includes responsibility for all of what we think of as human resources, as well as a group of uh, great teammates uh, who deliver enterprise services to the company as well. And, you know, I am really honored to lead a team of almost 4,000 professionals globally. And our role at the bank is to deliver being a great place to work to our over 215,000 teammates globally. Um, and, you know, we do that in all the ways you, you think of, but being a great place to work is core to who we are. It's core to responsible growth. It's been a major focus for Brian and the management team and our board. Uh, and I'm really honored to lead that team. I've worked in human resources um, for almost 30 years, um, primarily in financial services. Um, I joined Bank of America in 2000. Obviously, a lot's happened since then. I've been the chief human resource officer for almost eight years, and I've really worked in almost every aspect of HR. And, you know, some might say, you know, do, do I ever get bored or um, or wonder what's next? And the reality is, you know, I've I've lived through and worked through both the financial crisis, um, the last three years working through the pandemic and the, the human crisis that we had. And, you know, throughout that, our focus has been on what are the things we need to do to make sure that, again, we are a great place to work. It's so important. Our our people are our biggest asset. Um, and we need to continue to focus and invest on them. And really, one of the things I spend the most time on now is the topic we're going to talk about today, which is emotional wellness. Well, thank you for that, uh, Sherry. You know, I, th I think, as you alluded to, these last three years have really, I think, been in some ways the among the finest hour for the HR profession. And watching people step up and into protecting their employees, becoming, in essence, a chief medical officer, but it has taken a toll, and you know you see that in our profession, and that's um, uh, something where I think the level of stress and the amount of responsibility that I think folks in in, in HR felt were on their shoulders has been extraordinary to watch. It, it's also given us, I think, an opportunity to to prioritize and emphasize wellness and mental health. I, I wonder if in these last few years how that has shaped or, or or altered some of the thinking about the way uh, you wanted to lead that team in responding to the needs of the Bank of America employees? One of the things when, when I look back and I think about, um, you know, what's happened over the last three years, but even we started to see this in, you know, the, the years before um, the pandemic, 
we had really started to focus in, I would say, in 2017 and 2018 around mental health and emotional wellness as a core part of our wellness and thinking about the health of our of our workforce. And it really came from us starting to see some of the cracks that we hear about, you know, and we have heard about, you know, in society, we were seeing, um, you know, our medical care costs going up or self-insured. So, you know, we could see this category becoming um, a bigger piece. We were seeing, we do a, an annual health survey. We were seeing more signs of people saying, I'm stressed or I'm not coping. Um, and day to day, when you we're out talking to the HR team or managers, you know, you were hearing more and more of this. And probably the place um, that we saw and continue to see is, you know, in our entry-level programs, we're, we're huge um, employer of, you know, entry-level talent coming from campuses around the world. And we really would see it during our summer intern programs. And so we really started, I'd say, on this journey back in 2017 and 18 with you know, Brian and I and the management team declaring that this was going to be a priority. And we were really getting going on the work, um, you know, in a couple different um, aspects. You, you mentioned being a chief medical officer. You know, again, this isn't my background. So, you know, we started leaning on experts. We reached out to, you know, whether it was, you know, NAMI or One Mind at Work. Um, uh, we worked with Ariane Huffington at Thrive. We, we leaned on experts and partners to sort of help us start to think about our programs. We also looked at our, at our our health insurance and we did an audit to make sure that we had parity in our mental health offerings within our healthcare um, programs. And then we started to increase the benefits. Um, we, we started at you know three in-person sessions. We went to six. We, during the pandemic, went to 12. Um, and those are before your healthcare, um, you know, your health insurance needs to kick in. So we've continued to lean into those benefits, getting feedback from our teammates and making sure that we were really looking at the data. But if you asked me, like, what is the number one thing that we did and we continue to do throughout the pandemic was we really tried to lift the stigma. We made it okay to be not okay at work. We really opened up the dialogue. We had courageous conversations and we continue to do it. And I have to say in my role, there isn't a week that goes by where I'm not talking with a leader or a manager or maybe directly with an employee about something that's going on that they need assistance. Um, sometimes it's with their children. It could be with a, you know, an older, uh, you know, elder care, somebody that, you know, an older parent that that they're trying to take care of, or it may be about themselves. And so, you know, the pandemic just really accelerated this topic. But it really had started before um, before that point. And, and the biggest challenge during the pandemic was obviously, like many things, to be able to turn, um, you know, to deliver virtually. So we spent a lot of time thinking about how to enable more virtual care and virtual benefits. But really, it was about we needed to do more. We needed to lean in. But we had really started on this foundation before the pandemic. Yeah, Sherry, I think your point about the fissures in healthcare systems or in society, I think we're on the scene before the advent of COVID. Nevertheless, you know, this confluence of challenges these last few years has made for, I think, a, a very uh, challenging time because it's not as though you're addressing a challenge and then you move on to the next one and that's a discrete unit. And then, you know, you talked a little bit about reducing the stigma, which I'd agree is one of the big stumbling blocks for people to feel comfortable to either raise this issue with your manager or to seek whatever resources a company might have. And, you know, can you can you speak a little bit more about uh, what leaders, what organizations 
can do what you've done at Bank of America to help reduce that stigma so that more people feel that they can reach out for help or that they can, you know, tap into resources. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I think a couple things. One is you have to have alignment amongst your management team that, you know, this is an issue and something that you're going to address as the most senior leadership. And that is something we spend a lot of time on, as as I mentioned before, back in 2017 and 2018. And, you know, we went around um, in and supporting what we call courageous conversations. We brought in experts for many of those. And we would just host sessions where we would talk and we would we would talk with an expert, but we would also tell stories and make it okay for people, again, to speak about what their challenges are and what may be going on in their lives. And we also use those as opportunities to make sure we reinforced all the resources that were available. So that's one of the ways we've done it, starting at the top. The second thing is we um, went through a process with about 20,000 managers in the bank and we trained those managers. Um, we work with a company called Thrive and we started with our leaders and managers in these sessions and we talked to them about themselves first, what they were going through, the stress they might be feeling and making sure they understood and then how to, to engage their employees as we went to roll out this training across the company. And we were really clear with leaders and managers. You you mentioned this before. You don't want to put such a a big burden on the shoulders of leaders and managers that they feel like they need to be experts in this area. The real thing that we need them to do is to have an environment that's open where people feel comfortable coming forward and that they can point them to the resources. So I think that's the second thing. And then, you know, the third thing we really did is we do have a lot of resources within the HR function that are there to support managers and leaders. So we don't expect when there's a crisis for a manager to potentially know exactly what to do. And we have a team of about 200 HR professionals in our life event services team. And they're there to support leaders and managers and to take some of that burden off of managers because we do know they are carrying a lot and they are they were carrying even more during the pandemic. And then, you know, the last thing is, again, to remind them to take advantage of the resources that the resources are for them as well. You know, Sherry, that uh, that is an incredible, comprehensive, holistic approach to this, because it is very true. What we have asked of leaders in the last few years has been extraordinary from being, you know, on the, the front lines of, of looking for fishers in their own team, for people who are in distress, for helping make it to be okay for people to speak about it, which often means bringing their own vulnerabilities into the workplace or into the discussion. And so, you know, to to be able to support people through that, most companies either can't or or, or don't really see some of the needs. So it sounds like a, a terrific approach. You know, I, I wonder if, um, you know, you see some generational differences. So for example, I know a lot of the things you're passionate about is you know, people who are earlier in career and their emotional well-being. And and I wondered if you had some thoughts on this this latest generation um, into the workplace, the the Gen Zs, you know, the mid-1990s to early 2010s. And, um, you know, so I think they're perhaps a little bit different in their approach toward expressing their needs and seeking, uh, you know, support for emotional wellness. Given that this has been a large focus in your professional life, I wondered if you could maybe Talk about the programs that you have there, why this is so important, where do we go from here with supporting this 
somewhat different generation coming in? Rebecca, it's a great question. You know, when we think about the generation that's entering the workforce and what they have lived through with the pandemic, um, as well as things and Im information and data we were learning about this generation even before that, it really is a different generation as we think about mental health. On the good news front, they are incredibly open about challenges around mental health, and they are very open about seeking resources. And honestly, it is a table stake if you want to bring in young talent for, for your company. Um, we we had our, our um, campus recruits last summer, uh, 2,000 of them all together in person. And the number one booth that we, we had a booth set up that gave them information about lots of different aspects of the bank. And the number one booth that was visited was the emotional wellness and mental health booth. And it was, you know, literally we had a line of people wanting to talk to our experts and find out more about our resources. So there is no question in my mind that this is a generation that wants to talk about this issue, is willing to talk about this issue and expects resources to be available. The challenge as an employer or a college or university is that the need is really insatiable. There's a there's a massive demand for resources. And um, this generation has come to expect that those resources will be available for them. So we really have had to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what is it that might be different? How do we make sure we serve this population? And not just them, but also all their parents that are our employees as well, because a lot of the demand also comes from our employees who are parents and how we work with our parent and caregiver network to make sure they know what resources are available. And so, you know, the numbers are staggering. We had the Surgeon General come and speak with us and, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent of young adults will will say that they have um, mental health um, uh, challenges that they are trying to address. So it's really something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, part of what we've done is made sure we have more on-site resources, especially in our locations where we have a lot of young people. So we have about 30 locations around the U.S. where we have on-site counselors. Um, we double up on that during the summer when we have another 2,000 summer interns in our offices. And we see these counselors being used every day. And we think that's terrific. We want them to be used. We also spend time in our onboarding talking about mental health and making sure, again, as young people are joining our company, that they know how to take advantage of those resources. And then going back to what we talked about a little bit before, continuing to train managers. Um, often they're young managers that are managing our, our new teammates. So we really need to spend time with them, making sure, again, that they've got the resources they need, the training they need, and that they feel prepared for onboarding all of our young talent. Um, but it's really just such a critical point. We, um, we've we also done something really creative. Um, one of our board members, uh, Clayton Rose, um, is the president of Bowdoin College, and he and I started talking about some of the challenges. And we've created um, a group of people, uh, we call it the Mental Health Forum, and it's high school principals, college presidents, and then CHROs and, and our teammates that work on this topic. And we've gotten together about five times over the course of the last four or five years to talk about some of the challenges. And one of the things we've really learned is that those transition points from high school to college and then college to the workplace are really important. And so a lot of the things that I just mentioned that we've done 
um, with with this particular generation um, have really come out of those discussions and things we've learned um, as we learn from our college presidents and and their staffs as well as high school principals of sort of what the the talent base that's going to be joining us and how we think about supporting them. But big big topic and something we continue to think about and we're always looking for for new ideas of how we can make things even better for our for our younger teammates. Well, Sherry, I'm so glad to hear you uh, to hear you talk about this initiative to understand, you know, from high school principals or others who are looking at people of this generation as as they move to the tail end of it. And if if we think about how difficult it was for a lot of these new entrants into the workforce who were shut down through much of their college years, I, I'm sort of concerned, and I imagine you were too, about those who were shut down when they were in junior high. And, you know, how they will need to sort of prepare to close many of those gaps to be ready for a, a fulfilling uh, work career and the ability to kind of see what the challenges are as, as they are, you know, coming through the system. Uh, I would think, you know, positions Bank of America to really be able to even increase or to augment what you're already doing. It's, a, it's a, an extraordinary story of what Bank of America has chosen to do in terms of supporting mental health. Most companies that we hear about or, or know about, they they have many things and they offer many things but when we do the research about what people found helpful they are not those kinds of things that you're talking about um they are talking about wanting to have those because they not are not finding many of the traditional offerings to be of help for example you know some of the eap programs i think the ability to talk to another human uh, in some of these counseling centers that you're talking about is just extraordinary commitment yeah. yeah, Rebecca. One thing we're trying now, which again we 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 asked um, our some of our entry level teammates for feedback on this, is it, we have a new building across the street here in New York, and we've taken about half a floor for a wellness space, and that's where our counselors will be. We'll have nurses there, but we also just have some quiet space because one of the things again we're learning, especially because we do have most of our teammates back at work most of the time, that you know people need a quiet space, and so no phones, uh, you know, no meetings there. It's just a space to come. And we we literally just opened it last week. And so, you know, we're going to look at how it's used. We're going to have some meditation and yoga and other things there. Because again, you know, that's what we're hearing people want. You know, they need a break in their day. They need a place to go. And so, you know, pe- there's lots of different needs and we're trying to meet different needs and meet people where they are. Um, based on those needs. And, you know, we'll learn from that. Some things will work better than others, but our on-site counselors have really been a, a tremendous investment and something we we get really, really strong feedback on. Now, that's that's an extraordinary story, Sherry. I, I wondered if if maybe we could take the last of our, of our time together for your thoughts on ways in which other companies, other CHROs could begin to think about building out or or addressing, and I recognize every company's different, every culture's different, not everything works the same way everywhere, but what, what suggestions, what recommendations would you have for people who are looking to build out support systems for uh, managing emotional well-being? Yeah, so companies are of all different sizes and have all different resources, but I would say this is an area that you really do need an expert on your team. Um, I'm very blessed to have someone who just focuses on emotional wellness. And, you know, she has been tremendous in thinking about 
the again working with partners and thinking about what you know what we do first second third fourth um as we started you know our journey um and so that is something i think that is really important um because this is not something that you can sort of do in your spare time um it really does require a lot of expertise and again to have those partnerships with outside um experts in this area so i i would say that's one you know the second thing is is for CHROs, I think you have to have a real conversation with your management team and your CEO about, are you going to make this a priority? We all have lots of priorities. You know, I would argue this is one that we don't have a choice but to address. Again, if we want to have a healthy and productive workforce, but, you know, every company is different. And and I think you have to start there with, are we willing to bring this to the top of the priority list? And are we willing to talk about it? Um, and I think, you know, those two things, you know, are, are really table stakes to get started. You know, the third thing, of course, is looking at your benefits programs and making sure, again, that you've got good relationships with, um, you know, an EAP um, type program, but it also could be a virtual program. Um, during the pandemic, we turned on um, a lot of virtual um counseling, we use Teladoc behavioral health. And we found for, again, certain segments of employees, that was terrific. So we've tried different things. But I would say, um, you know, everybody needs something and you have to figure out what's going to work um, for your particular company. But so I think, you know, those three things, just to get started. And of course, you know, there's tons of opportunities for best practice sharing. Hopefully I've shared a little bit today uh, for people, but um, you know, in lots of different HR forums, just like, you know, the conference board, there's, there's huge opportunities to learn from others. You know, this is, this is an area that, uh, you know, we don't, we, we don't look at it as, you know, a competitive advantage or there's anything secret. We're happy to talk about all the things we're doing because, you know, what's good for our teammates are going to be good for the broader world and, and vice versa. Well, Sherry, it's been uh, such a pleasure to to chat about this, and it is an extraordinary commitment that you and the and the team have made at Bank of America. Thank you for sharing. I can only imagine that people were taking furious notes, and so you can brace yourself for the onslaught of incoming requests to share. So, thank you again for joining us, and just a distinct pleasure, Sherry. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was great to be here today. Thank you. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.